0: And the facts is this, boys, there's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Hiya and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew F. Pearce and this podcast is recorded in Boorloo, Perth, Western Australia. Sovereignty never ceded. With her delicate and gentle drama, Damage... Director Madeline Blackwell has crafted a parable that layers grief, trauma, a sense of location at what it means to live away from home, and more into an emotionally enriching experience. Damage follows Ali, played by Ali Al-Janabi, a refugee in Australia using a friend's taxi license to earn some small aspect of a living. As he drives the streets of Adelaide at night, he picks up Esther, played by Madeline's mother Emilda Burke. Esther is a lost soul who's unsure of the name of where she needs to go, and certainly has no idea of how to get there. Equally so, Ali is unfamiliar with the streets, relying solely on a soulless GPS device to guide him where he needs to go. At first, their relationship is a fractured one, with Ali quickly becoming frustrated with Esther's inability to tell him where he needs to go. Equally so, Esther's frustration is leveled at how Ali is treating her, as well as her ambivalence in regards to his accent. On paper, Damage suggests that it will be a film about two people connecting with one another through an understanding of the other's life state that they're in. And while that is an aspect of the film, Madeline layers it with imagery that reflects the continued surveillance state that we live in. And it's a surveillance state that cons- constantly denies the ability of rest and gathering oneself. As we see images of Ali's home as a country in ruins, or clips of rampant progress with space shuttles bursting into the atmosphere, or even a commuter train blitzing through a snow-covered track, smothering its waiting passengers in filthy snow. There is always something going on. There is always something to take our mind away from the present, and keeping us in a sense of stress and anxiety. It's these motives that informs Ali's life, and in doing so, they try and answer the pointed question. Why did Australia go to his homeland and destroy it, forcing Ali to seek refuge here? In this sense, damage takes an inspiration from Ali's own life, which was documented by Robin de Crespigny in her award-winning 2012 book, The People Smuggler. There are shots of waiting taxis also filtered amongst the piece. Leading to the question of how many people, just like Ali, are experiencing the same life journey in Australia. He can't be alone. That question is also applied to how Australia treats its elderly, as seen with Drifting Esther's story. It's not long before we see the path that she is following, which presents her with as a cognizant individual on the cusp of losing her grounded sense of being. Damage is a powerful and impressive drama film, the kind that we deserve to see more of on Australian screens. In the following interview, Madeline talks about the five-year journey to bring Damage to life, what it was like to work alongside her mother, and the way that music flows into the film in an effective and enriching manner. Damage is in Australian cinemas from November 9 and deserves your full attention. Here is the trailer for the film, followed by the interview with Madeline.
1: the trouble.
0: Gone. I'd love Are you afraid of me? First of all, congratulations on your film. I was so moved by it and found it such a, a really very powerful experience. So Thanks, thanks. It was very much a team effort. Let's go back to when it first began, because I understand that it's been a few years that it's been percolating and how did this story, uh, the translation of the story to taking it onto screen, how did that kick off?
1: I was working with some uh, fabulous women who were refugee advocates every tuesday particularly one called narita russell and i was uh, gathering the stories of their work over the years i guess it was you know during this really long period where refugees have have suffered torture and abuse at the hands of the legitimized by the australian government And I was really upset about that. I I see that as if our institutions cannot protect us from bending human rights and from mistreating people, I I, I think we're lost, you know. So I, I was really interested to write something with these advocates about what they were doing. And it was so intense and so vast, there were so many stories that I was overwhelmed. And one night I went to bed and slept and I dreamed this film. So it was like a funnel. A thousand stories just became one. And there was a moment where the dialogue was even dream. So I woke up at about one o'clock in the morning and I wrote it down really fast. And I, I reckon I wrote 20 pages in the night. So when I went woke up the next day, I knew that I had something, something was was born. You know, you have that feeling. Something's um, very, I was very committed to it. And I was compelled to to follow through. So that then became the full script. I was writing it. I abandoned uh, the idea of doing anything else. So this was just a two-hander. But I wanted to be able to talk about the vastness, the complexity of the world that we're living in and juxtapose it with the, the, the humanity that we all share, that we all have the potential to be innately human and connect with each other. So that's where the film ended up going. And uh, because I I engaged with non-actors, the script actually really wavered and changed. And when I saw Ali Janabi on stage at the Sydney Theatre launching a a book, a a biography about him, that was written by Robin DiCrepne, I, I knew that. That's the guy. That's the guy. He's an actor. I just sensed that about him, and it took me a year to convince Ali to come on board and make that film. I, I had he kept saying no, so at one point I had to accept that, and I I asked a few other people, and you know I I looked around, but I had to come back to Ali, and he finally said yes. The old woman is my mother. I worked with her. I never ever wanted to work with anyone else because I know. Her expressive face. I knew this was going to be a lot of close-ups, portraits, and I wanted to see the way time works on a face. And and what's inside that person is so revealed in a face. I'm absolutely fascinated with portraiture. And the, the film, I've said in the director's notes, the film is a portrait of these two people, but it's also a portrait of us and where we're at in this point of time as a nation.
0: That's what I found so brilliantly presented. Is it that that collation of the the themes and the ideas? It's not just two people in a car trying to find a location that they're going to. You layer things so neatly and, and delicately that it just it's this this cascade of ideas that are going through my mind at once. It's it's not only what Ali's experience. It's not only you know, the character your mum plays experience, but it's also the surveillance state that we live in. It's also our race for the expansion of of, into our universe and all this kind of stuff. It's so powerfully layered. Can you talk about creating those layers and and how that appears in, I guess, a script form, Uh, talking about, you know, presenting those surveillance things, presenting a space shuttle shooting off into space, that kind of stuff?
1: Well, it was pretty much a script on a whiteboard in our office, like for a lot of the time. I did have a script. I came with a blueprint you know, wrangling with that script writing uh, software. Um, and I did have a script, but in the end, you know, when we were collecting images, it really came back to a list. We had the inside world and the outside world. And so that diagram had that narrative in it, what goes on between those two people and the story. But they're all these other associated images that we live with at the same time as we live with our own lives and how they impact on our lives is very real. So the sense of danger, the sense of fear, the sense of constant militarisation, anonymous events that we're not aware of that are going on in the world while we're living our births, deaths and marriages. Uh, The film is about stuff that goes on in that atmosphere as well, hemisphere, I suppose. So, yeah, there was always the outside world and the inside world as these two hemispheres that needed to, to make sense in the filmmaking process. It didn't really happen until we were in the in the edit room and Rafael Rivera was the editor who had extraordinary patience, insight and incredibly good taste. You know, we worked together for the first time. Rafael was just out, out of film school when he came onto this project, he really uh, did an incredible job.
0: He really did, because uh, so I was saying, like the layered approach to it, it just it hits in a really an emotional way at the end, which obviously we won't go into how it ends. But it just, I found that all of these kinds of ideas, as they lead up and they, they build up. I found myself just so moved by these two characters and the world that they're living in, which is, of course, it's our world. And it made me think, and and as you're talking about waking up in the middle of the night and writing a script and and things like that, it's, I've always been fascinated by how in Australia, our night is the rest of the world's day. And there's this sense of that as well in Damage, where they're driving through the night and all of these, uh, the wars that Australia is involved in, we hear glimpses of them on the radio and i always think of it myself i'm in perth so when i wake up i get all these news notifications of all of the terrible things that have taken place around the world and it's it's non-stop like it's it's inescapable and that sense of not being able to escape their fates or the story of the world that they live in for these two characters is so powerful and and deeply realized especially for ali who has PTSD. I'm curious if you can talk about that that sense of always being around this kind of trauma, always being uh, circled by this trauma that he's living with.
1: Well, the film's called Damage and it's about damage and it's about the damage that we are perpetuating in the world, that it doesn't go away. It stays with us psychologically, politically. In this film, uh, she discovers without Without speaking, she discovers and has to confront or is confronted by Ali's damage. He's confronted by his own damage. He has to live with it. But she decides to trust him because there's something in her humanity, in her life, that is also damaged. So the scene before they go through that car wash, when they're listing their damages and he's asking her, you know, what he asks her. (laughs) it's um it's the kernel where you know we see two damaged people that actually learn how to trust each other and can feel each other's damage and understand each other so that's what the film is begging that there is an understanding and that we must stick together and we must trust each other we must understand each other even if it's dangerous. That old woman was very vulnerable in that car.
0: Yeah, so the film is about damage. What what kind of research and and support did you have for the actors and in being able to provide them with a a glimpse into what it's like to live with that kind of mindset? I understand that Ali's probably fairly intimate with that kind of understanding.
1: We never spoke about it. We never spoke about it. It was just a chore that we had to do. Today we're shooting this scene. There was no... Um, method acting in this film (laughs) it's just something that I felt the actors could do it and uh, so we didn't have to do any special rehearsals Um, by that stage we got to that scene Ali knew what it was about he knew what was required same with Imelda I really really didn't have to direct them very much by that stage it took quite a you know over a longer period of time they got to understand each other Ali and Imelda first met when I... It was an experiment. I brought him down from Sydney to Adelaide where Imelda lived and we spent the day or the weekend together. We, we sat in Imelda's car in the garage, we improvised, we worked with a little bit of text... And then that night we actually had a concert we had to go to and I was wondering how are we going to do this with Ali? I hope he doesn't mind. So we brought him along to the concert and that, And my sister was singing at this concert and we all had a bit too much to drink and all my girlfriends were there and everyone. So in the end Ali ended up having to drive us all home and it was kind of pretty, it was his first experience of us, but he had a ball, you know, so we all went back to mum's and ordered pizzas and, like, I think he actually understood who we were and so he didn't feel he felt he could handle us and and uh yeah so you know there was a good feeling and he always stayed with me or with Imelda when he came down we were like a little family and he's the first to say that.
0: It sounds like your family growing up you had a very supportive family in the sense that everybody was able to be creative and explore a creative vibe what was that like for you Uh, obviously it's been you know quite a a fruitful uh, creative career for you, but I'm curious what that's like to ha- be supported and know that creativity is wanted and supported.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't put it like that, but um, my mum, my parents were musicians. My dad was a businessman, actually, but you know, he was a great musician, a piano player, boogie woogie during, you know, after the war. And my mum was a jazz singer. So, yeah, we did have a lot of people around the house that you probably, it was, you know, only in looking back. But my darling brother, Paul, to whom the film is dedicated, he passed away um, during the time I was making this film of cancer. He was a great actor, a very respected actor. You know, the arts has been a very sort of natural place for us to, to be, all the, for all the family. But it's, it's a very hard thing to make a film. It's very, very difficult. You don't feel like, you know, there's any preparation for it. It's, it's a really tough call.
0: I mean, as you say, like it's five years, you know, it's a long, it's a long time and it's hard in Australia to, to get films off the ground. But I imagine having your mum there by your side has got to make that journey a little bit easier. What's that like working with her and directing her? Well, it
1: was just great. I mean, she had just such uh, good ideas. And uh, when I first gave her the script, she said, yeah, I'll do it. It's great. But there's two weak points in the script, this one here and that one there. And she just put her finger on the two parts that I was having trouble with, you know. So she used to watch the film at various um, intervals. She had macular degeneration, so she'd get right up close to the TV and watch the film. And, you know, the first time she saw it, she said, it's good, it's good. She just had i was I was very comforted by her confidence in the film because she had great taste in music and literature and she was a very funny person and and so yeah she followed the, uh, the the progress of the edit whereas Ali saw it for the first time he didn't want to see any of it until he saw the whole film complete and he really liked it as well
0: i I find the moments of music. Uh, you know, specifically the classical music is really quite beautiful that they get to sit there and listen to it. But I also found it really fascinating as a shorthand to get an understanding of who Ali is as a character, that he can't settle on one radio station, like he's he's always on edge. I'm curious if you can talk about creating certain shorthands to show what kind of anxiety that he's living with.
1: So... It's also about the anxiety of what's being said on the radio and the way the news is represented and, you know, it must be really, really difficult coming from another culture and then, you know, looking for something that represents you. And finally he finds a station that's got Arabic music, you know. So that's basically what he's looking for, something that he can enjoy. And the importance of music in the film and the concept of music, because Ali talks about music in the film It came from Ali. In the very first weekend that he came down to Adelaide to work with us, I was driving him to the airport and I was playing some Irish traditional music on the radio as it came on. And he said, I can hear the generations of music in here. I can hear the history going back generations. And he talked about how he senses history inside music and how traditional music changes and bends and 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 gets influenced with each generation. Well, that kind of little chat comes out in the film. He improvised that one day. In fact, Ali would sometimes improvise. It made the edit more difficult, but we had to capture it, you know. So, yeah, he's a person with a very, very generous, intelligent mind, and the radio and the music, his relationship to music and the way he sings... That wasn't ever in the script. He brought that to it. He just started to sing in the middle of a scene, you know, like so. That influenced even the musicians because I took that singing back to my to Mohammed Amin Mardan, the incredible uh, Iraqi composer who lives in Sydney, out in the western suburbs of Sydney, and has a small studio there. He improvised around that lullaby. Um, Even though he didn't know it that well, he improvised around it. He's a musicologist as well. And he gathered some extraordinary musicians, Iraqi musicians, who who live around him, and they all recorded music to the film at times, you know, and I'd be there and have to press the button and, you know, because they all had their instruments. It was pretty great working with him. He's brought a lot to the film. And also... The music by Peter Knight and Way Out West. Peter Knight is from Melbourne. He was the director of the uh, the art um, orchestra, the Australian Art Orchestra. I was writing the script when I heard the piece nine years later and I knew that that was the piece of music for the film because it contained elements that belonged to each strand of the narratives, the multi-narratives and the associated narratives it had, I f- I didn't know where that music came from and eventually I tracked way out west and there it was in Melbourne and Peter Knight was very generous and, you know, gave me more other bits of music. He was just great and he also saw the film at an early stage and appreciated how the music was being used. So it was fantastic to have the assistance of people like that in making the music for the film.
0: So you talked about it before how the the archival stuff was implemented and added into the edit. But I'm curious if you can talk about sourcing that as the specific shots of like, as I was saying, the sh- the space shuttle and then the surveillance shots of, uh, well, I assume it's Iraq or, or places where war-torn countries.
1: Well, I, use, I use some of the WikiLeaks footage, which is in the public domain, because there you've got a side of the story that, you know, the exposure of that footage is basically what has kept uh, Julian Assange in prison for all of these years, it's it's just that sort of well, it raises the point that footage, if people do recognise it, that there's only one uh, narrative that's allowed to come out of the Iraq War. We don't talk about Iraq anymore. It was a destruction perpetuated on a on a on a civilization that with impunity, and so the people that raise the deepest issues and expose those realities are being censored violently. And so I really wanted to use that footage in the film as part of, you know, the reality of what's gone on in Iraq, what people have suffered in Iraq, what's inside every cell of Ali's body. You know, this beautiful culture that he's so proud of, that he talks about in Babylon, uh, this, the, the country between two rivers, his intimacy with talking about his own country and the fact that that can be wiped out at a whim. That's why all of that extra meta-narrative imagery is really important and it's all available. I mean, we had to buy some of it on um, Getty Images. Yeah, well, that's what—that's where we found most of it.
0: As I was saying, like, it, it adds the layers of it all. I'm curious, as you mentioned before, like, this idea, it's come to you in your mind and I'm curious as you're starting to enter the journey of it entering into the world and, and being received into audiences, what's on your mind now when you sleep, what, you know, are you, are you still thinking about this film? Are you still carrying this into your dreams? <laughs> <Just exorcist.
1: laughs> Look, I'm really, really excited about it. Going to the public of going to the Australian public. I'm so excited about it. I want people to see the film it's not a given you put so much of your life into something you know it's so i'm so relieved that it's going to go out there and very very excited about it and you know that's i really look forward to to following its progress around the country
0: this is certainly it's a film that's going to create discussion it's going to create a little bit of introspection which i think is is what you want from a film it's what you want from something that has a narrative that's so rich like this With that in mind as well, one of the questions which I often ask Australian filmmakers is what it means to be an Australian filmmaker. Is that, you know, what is the the purpose or the value or the drive for you to tell Australian stories, Uh, whether it's in theatre, whether it's on screen, what does that mean to you as a storyteller?
1: Well, it's where all my stories belong, you know. Yeah, I feel very much that I need to be here and, and work here, but it's really, really hard. I've spent a quite a lot of time overseas working. Uh, For a very long time, I've worked in Holland at the University of Utrecht, doing Shakespeare's every year um, until 2017. And I've spent time working in France at a theatre company there, a fabulous theatre company, and also in in Latin America. But, you know, this is where uh, my stories belong. When I write, it's always about here. It's about Australia. And I've had quite a lot of films that didn't get up um, that I've applied for. So that's why with this one, when I couldn't get a producer of this film, I could not let this one go into the bottom drawer. I, I, I just, in the beginning, I thought, look, I'll just produce it myself. And then thank God Sharon Cleary and Peter Thurmer came along to help me.
0: Well, it's been... a a real treat to be able to talk with you about it and to be able to experience it as well. Thank you so much. Again, it's a, it's a brilliant, beautiful film uh, with some genuinely tender performances. I'm grateful to have been able to watch it. Thank you, Madeline. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, great. Great. I'm so glad. Thanks. (laughs)